Hello, and welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we are here to discuss a horror movie and do a deep dive on it. So first, Chris, let me ask you, have you ever had any crazy experiences with an Airbnb? Well, yeah, I did go to um, a 40th birthday party at an Airbnb for my friend Scott, so you can probably imagine how that went. (laughs) Okay. Um, In Nashville and about 10 of his family members. But it was crazy because of like, the shenanigans that they were up to. Now, it wasn't anything to do with the. There was B&B no froggers. Um, There's no. Well, uh, There's no what? Froggers? Yeah, have you is heard the term froggers? What is that? Okay, this is like a, a new term. It's about people who essentially like camp out in people's houses or try to hide in people's houses. Like creepy crawlers. Yeah, I guess that's what they is that what they used to call that's them. You have to keep up with the terminology. <laughs> that's what the Manson family was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like creepy crawling. There was a movie that was on Netflix recently called "I See You." Did you see that? No, I've never heard of it. Helen Hunt was in it, which is nice to see oh, her again. Always nice to see her. What, so what do the what do the froggers do? Well, either they are actually trying to find a place to sleep or like in this movie, I see you like it's just kind of like a game to them to try and hide in people's houses, sneak down, eat their food, stuff like that. Oh. There's actually a whole show on Hulu called Frogging. Well, why is it called Frogging? Do you know? That's a good question. I forget why it's called that. There was a movie from, I'm going to say, the early 90s called Hider in the House. And uh, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before because it's hilarious. But it has Gary Busey in it. And he plays uh-huh. a guy that's hiding in the walls of someone's house. <laughs> and it's also Gary Busey. So, um, that's the scariest thing you could ever think of. <laughs> right? I mean, and of course, horror ensues. I was kind of obsessed with it when I was a kid. There's like a, It was one of those kind of directed video things. And so I guess he was probably the original Frogger. Gary Busey was the original Frogger. You heard it here <laughs> on Sometimes Dead is Better. Well, unfortunately, it looks like the term of frogging doesn't really have a great origin. It just says it maybe it might have referred to the frog like the animal because they jump from place to place. They jump to house to house. It's not very exciting. But I do like the name frogging. So it's P-H-R-O-G-G-I-N-G, right. frogging. All right. So today we are talking about... You, you open the door. I should ask you, have you ever had a crazy experience in Airbnb? Unfortunately, no. But I have been to Airbnbs where there's locked doors, which most owners do that. But it never stops me from trying the doorknob. And if there was a basement, I definitely would have go and check it out. So I totally get this to an extent. We'll talk about like where we think we would have stopped, especially in this movie, which we are doing the movie Barbarian. From 2022. I was thinking about that earlier. Like, I I suspect that our approaches to what happens or what we would do downstairs is going to vary wildly (laughs) between you and me. Well, that's what's that's what's so amazing about the movie, which we'll get into, is how they show Tess and how she approaches this these things and how Keith and AJ approach the same things. So, Barbarian came out in 2022. It's directed by Zach Krieger. Who comes from a comedy background? Did you ever watch the sketch show, The Whitest Kids You Know? No, I was going to ask you about it. I, I guess I've heard about it, but I've, I've never even seen an episode. I haven't seen an episode either. Or is it like a streaming thing? I saw always friends with no. uh, Jordan Peele, which is kind of interesting. 
And that makes yes. Sir Madison. And that's what's so fascinating about a lot of these directors who come from a comedy background. Or even Justin Long, who is very comedic, but he's been in a lot of horror movies, right, going yeah. back all the way to like Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers. Creepers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Justin Long, I mean, he was in Tusk, that Kevin Smith movie, which is, I guess, horror, right? Horror adjacent. I'd say that's pretty horrific. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, we could do an episode on that. I'm not sure how I feel about that movie. It's probably just the sort of Kevin Smith of it all, but. Yeah, I would love to rewatch that and talk about it. But yeah, Justin Long. Um, I saw uh, today that the director actually offered that role to Zac Efron. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I don't think it would have worked as well. Different movie. I think Zac Efron is a great comedic actor, but he's also just too fucking good looking that it just it doesn't have the same effect as Justin Long, who's a kind of a doofus looking guy. He's handsome, but not like in a Zac Efron way. I think Zac could do a good job with it. I think he actually could get away with the sort of being a, well, scumbag of it all, if, you know, if he plays it the right way. Um, but yeah, it would be kind of distracting, you know, you know. I mean, he did play Ted Bundy. Yeah, I never saw that, but... um, Yeah, and that's what's so interesting about horror and comedy. They kind of come from the same place, yeah. If you think about it, yeah. the scares are almost kind of like punchlines. <laughs> exactly, and you have to earn those scares the same way you have to earn that punchline. Yeah. I am a comedian, but I am not in any way a professional comedian. But I do write jokes and i perform jokes well, at what point do you would you call yourself professional i don't know how else i mean i think you are a professional comic i mean i do get paid for it right but i think you'd have to be able to like i don't know in my mind you'd have to be able to support yourself oh, doing agent it. or something or... yeah okay. i guess i think you're a professional comic but the idea of trying to build a joke and you have to set it up correctly if you don't set it up correctly then the punchline's not going to hit and I feel it's the same way with horror. The payoff has to make it worth it. And it's the same thing to me as like a lot movies with lots of jump scares. It's kind of easy. It's kind of similar to comedy to me is the same way. Like if you're making easy jokes, if you're making fat jokes or gay jokes or yeah, it's easy. People are going to laugh at it, but it's hack and it's not good. Yeah, that's actually kind of fascinating because the, the Justin Long section of the movie kind of bears out exactly what you're saying. And I'll talk about that when we get there. But I'm, I'm fascinated by how the director, or I guess the whole, you know, production, um, how e each of the characters approaches the horror that they're sort of de dealing with. And I, I would argue that the, the film reflects how, where the kind of characters are coming from, even how they present the scary stuff to the audience. It's totally different how they present it during the Justin Long scenes versus the earlier scenes. It's just like oh, a different Oh, okay, movie. yeah. I, want... I think a lot of it has to do with yeah. what you're saying. Well, before we get too far in, I do have a drink to go with the movie. Ooh, okay. Please tell me, because I, I was lazy and I just I'm just drinking Stella Artois and or Artois and there's no real connection to it. I know you were trying to connect it. Yeah. OK, so I got a Scofflaw, which is a local brewery here in Atlanta. This is a Pog Basement. Ooh. It's a IPA here from here in Atlanta. I think it's kind of a summery drink, which I thought also was kind of good because it's kind of like the end of summer here. Yeah. Today was like the first kind of chilly day that we've had. And so this is my, here it comes, my goodbye to summer. Can I see the can? Oh, that's pretty. All right. So this movie had a $4.5 million budget. We talked about a lot of horror movies are made on these comparatively small budgets compared to a lot of movies out in the movie theaters. It made over $40 million in the United States. Yeah. So that's a 10 times return on their you know investment, which is kind of like analogous to say like what Barbie did. Barbie was like what probably like a hundred million or something and it made a billion dollars. So it's kind of the same ratio if you think about it. 
I guess just on a different scale. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's still very impressive. Yeah, I, I, mean, I suspect the Barbie people were much happier, <laughs> but still. <laughs> um. Well, that's also why I can't wait to talk about the movie Talk to Me, because those two directors, they're brothers, and this was their directorial debut. They have, well, well, I'll save it for Talk to Me, but they were so impressive. They've been doing videos and stuff since they were kids, and then you know their first feature film gets picked up, and not only is it great, but it gets the accolades it deserves. So it's it's very exciting because you never know with horror. Sometimes it doesn't get the respect. So this movie, and uh, again, it's Barbarian, and we just kind of picked it because we wanted to start out on our reboot with some of the kind of newer movies. And But also, this is like just one of my favorite movies from the last year or so. I mean, I just was kind of blown away by it. Uh, but I was curious about kind of like where did he get this idea from? I mean, it's there's definitely a hook to it. But it has kind of an interesting origin story. The director was reading a book, and I forget the title of it. I know it has fear in the title. The book talked about uh, essentially, or is giving advice on, uh, particularly for women, on how to how to deal with you know fear scenarios in their lives, and it, it kind of got this guy thinking about you know how women approach situations differently than men do, or, or vice versa, you know, by necessity. And so he wanted to do a writing experiment about a woman that sort of meets a guy and is met with uh, just nothing but red flags <laughs> for like. You know, and but for still for whatever reason decides to not necessarily ignore those red flags, but just sort of you know stay in the situation, navigate them. Yeah, yeah. navigate them. And then um, he just did that as a writing experiment to just see what happened. And then it it was probably something like that first act, I guess, up up until the whole horror in the basement. But I think that sort of unlocked you know these other ideas. You know, I was very pleased when I read that. I said, oh, okay, some of the themes that I've sort of I imagined that I picked up on apparently were there from the the get go. Like it's actually the the reason the movie exists, which is kind of pretty cool. So it's based in Detroit. This is where the city that we're in. So a lot of that was shot in Bulgaria, though. Yeah, I was surprised. Which apparently there's that. been a few <laughs> horror movies. I know. I mean, I guess it's cheaper. To me, it seems like getting everybody over there seems like a lot, but I don't know how the movies work. But so they did do some shots in Detroit. And then the rest of it, all the set pieces, I guess, were shot in. Yeah, I, I guess the interior stuff. I mean, surely not just along driving along the beach. But <laughs> that'd be kind of funny. Just that scene. Everything else was in America. I guess the neighborhood could be somewhere in Bulgaria. I don't know when they show the sort of, and I guess we'll get to that. But Yeah, I think they had to build all that. Oh, interesting. Movie starts out, um, we meet uh, Tess, who's played by Georgina Campbell. Yeah, it's a very scary um, music and rain that starts out that first music it's i can't is there something else that that kind of music was in is it hereditary or something where it's almost like screaming yeah, like well i mean as with anything it kind of reminds me of you know the shining you know the, the the sort of kind of orchestral screaming that sort of yeah um and i i, I was thinking about it you know it, i suppose that sort of maybe supposed to represent all the women that have been you know killed in that house but um oh that's scary yeah, that's scary. scary and she doesn't hear it and so it's just sort of outside the jeep it's just kind of for the audience, I suppose. And then there's this cool shot where the, the camera pulls into the Jeep's window and then it's just sort of silent. It's sort of the first indication that it's kind of like not going to be your normal kind of a traditional horror movie, I think. That it's going to play some tricks like that on you. And then she ignores a phone call from Marcus. Yeah, who, and she, we see her do that a couple times. Yeah, she does not like Marcus. I, we, I guess we're supposed to presume that that's her, her boyfriend or at least some guy. That, yeah, her, her on and off boyfriend yeah. that, who we learn about later. I do love renting an Airbnb. Like, I, I know it's creepy, but I like the idea of being in someone else's space. 
seeing how someone else lives. Yeah. Well, this one, though, is, you know, it's kind of funny how they stage it, but it's so obviously staged as a rental property. I'm kind of fascinated by that. Like, you know, the sort of modern kind of crate and barrel two <laughs> furnishings and... You're right. It looks like a storeroom. Yeah, that's the point. It's, it's, it's no one. You can kind of tell that no one really lives there. It's it's just and like what I like about that is when they show it originally back in the 80s, it's very ironically, it's much warmer. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, it's very lived in space, even though, you know, of all the horrible things that owner was doing. Right. Yeah. And so she has rented this Airbnb on Barberry Lane. So I guess that's where we get the barbarian. I deny from. I didn't catch that until I read that today. So. <laughs> Some things do get past me. And then there's a great shot when she gets up to the door and she looks out and they pan and you can see none of the other houses have lights on. Just this idea you can't quite see. You see the shapes of the houses kind of barely. And um, there's this idea that, okay, she's maybe not be in the best neighborhood, but um, for all she knows, it's like, oh, well, everyone maybe just has their lights out. That's kind of weird. There's nothing to indicate that's what it actually is, which is like basically completely distressed properties that if anyone lives there, it's just, you know, what do you call them? Squatters, I suppose. So she has a little lockbox, and I did like how she had to check the number again because, you know, you never get it right on the first try. She did the number again, open up the box. There's no keys. So she goes back to the car to try to call the person, and then she sees a light come on inside the house. Yeah, that's a cool shot. And who opens the door but Pennywise the Clown? <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's the first red flag. Tall, tall Bill Skarsgård opens the door. And not only Pennywise, he was also so creepy in Castle Rock. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He was so good in that. And I was thinking, and this is, I didn't realize that he's like a executive producer of this thing. I saw that today. I saw mm-hmm. everything today, apparently. I've seen this movie five times, I promise <laughs> you, but I noticed nothing about it. Um, but I was thinking, like, why, you know, I wonder if they cast him because of the It Association, because you're supposed to sort of, it seems like they want that first 20 minutes or whatever it is to do a lot of work to make you instantly, you know, suspicious of this guy. Amongst, you know, any oh, yeah, I think so. Because the, there is at one point when he says, do I look like a monster yeah, to you? But I guess when I saw that he was the executive producer, then I, I, I kind of negated that theory because he's in it because he you know, produced it. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't have to do too much. Um, but yeah, so anyway, he opens the door. It's, it's Bill Skarsgård. Um, you know, she just woke him up. There's this little sort of um, back and forth about who is supposed to be there. They both double booked the Airbnb, which is, has that, does that happen? I guess it happens, but. I wouldn't doubt it. Do you realize how long it took her to actually ask him, hey, can I see your reservation too? You know, like he immediately asked to see it. So she shows him. Yeah, she doesn't ask until she's inside. Yeah. And she's a little hesitant about it, even when she says and it. And he's actually kind of a little bit offended when she asks. There's that great scene where he um, invites her in. For some reason, she goes in. Yeah, but I love that the title reveal when she walks in the door and the Barbarian title comes up. Oh, yeah. And someone also said online that Barbarian is the same letters as Airbnb. Just twist it around. It's only yeah, that's those interesting. letters. Yeah. It's not quite an anagram because there's more, you know, they're not the same length, but it's still the same mm-hmm. letters and only those. So she comes inside. So I guess here's our first sort of question. You, Kristen, pull up at this, you know, deserted. I guess you don't quite know how creepy the neighborhood is, but assume you do. You go to this door. Bill Skarsgård opens the door, invites you in. What do you do? <laughs> Did I just answer my own question? <laughs> I mean, he could be dressed as Pennywise and he would still go in, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that'd be hard to resist. I mean, you know how I feel about his brother. Yeah, so I guess you'd maybe think, well, is, is he there too? Is he going to call? Like, okay. Can we see what Alexander's doing? Like, I still have dreams about him. Then I wake up in a sweat. But anyway, she sits down and she calls like one hotel and they're full. <laughs> Look, I did a little Googling, Chris, just in the Detroit 
metropolitan area, there's over 400 hotels. There's another like 380 Airbnbs that would have been open. Probably you couldn't have got those Airbnbs that night, but those hotels you could have got. Yeah, but there's that conference. (laughs) Yeah, one conference. I was just thinking about like if you're in Atlanta, which I don't know the difference. I'm sure Atlanta is maybe a little bigger than Detroit. I don't know. But if you were to say there's no hotels in Atlanta, not possible. I don't fault the movie for those. Obviously, there wouldn't be a movie. You should just go to a different hotel. But if this was set like maybe 25 years ago, then what do you do, right? But with cell phones and... Yeah, for sure. I did think it would help if they would... It's not clear what time it is. You kind of get the sense that it's easily well past midnight, right? I mean, he's already in bed. Yeah, seems pretty late. So there's kind of that going on. There's a sense that she doesn't really want to go to the trouble. But I think the bigger point to me is when he kind of quickly says, and this is where the second or third red flag that you're supposed to pick up on where it's like, oh, there's this conference. That's it. Yeah, you're not going to you're not going to find a hotel. And she just doesn't seem interested in questioning that, which is kind of. Also, you could Google that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's more kind of like you were saying, she didn't want to challenge him, you know, like she's kind of I don't I wouldn't call her a meat character at all. But I think there is that sort of either through fear or nervousness or just being having to be polite. There is a lot of sort of outpoliting each other during this sort of very awkward scene. It's, it's kind of one of those things where they're kind of stumbling over, not trying to offend each other. Yeah. But at any point, and let's say, you know, whether it's him opening the wine, offering her a tea, inviting her to stay the night, offering her the bed, at which of those points, and let's just take out the scars guard of it all, <laughs> at which of those points would you, do you think you would have like dipped out or, or do you think that maybe... And, you know, again, it's it's after midnight. You're tired. You've been traveling all day. You have a job. Maybe the next morning. I mean, I mean, what do you do? I think it's different asking. I know I hate to be gendered about it, but it's kind of what this scene's about, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say, like looking at it from the outside, not being tired, not having a job interview the, tomorrow. You know, I would say as soon as he opened the door, then I would say I'm out of here <laughs> and I would get in my car and I'd go find a hotel and I call the Airbnb people and figure it out later. Yeah, so I think that's fair. <laughs> it's also raining. <laughs> I guess you do have to factor in the fact that he is attractive, though. So I think we have to acknowledge that. Not that it's Bill Skarsgård, but, but because she, the character, is attracted to him, at least becomes attracted to him. So I think that yeah. has to be somewhat acknowledged. And she's, of course, attractive herself. I do like how he uses the beverages, how he wants to make her tea, and she says no but he makes it anyway, which is sometimes nice guys who are, think they're nice do things like that when really they have ulterior motives. And they have a shot of the tea. And then, of course, then they have the whole wine scene where he is very, very awkward. Yeah. And and then retrospect, actually, it's really cute because we do end up seeing that, oh, I think he is a good guy. Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, the way I read all that, I mean, you could read it one way, which is he's an utter creep and he's, you know, again, red flags everywhere. But once you kind of know the whole movie, um, or at least his part of it, like you realize, oh, he's just just being genuine and he's stuck in this situation, too. And he's trying to make her feel comfortable. But at the same time, he's like just kind of doing it badly. <laughs> like, don't yeah. offer 10 different beverages. Um, you know, <laughs> if she says no once, yeah, so be it. I think he's just trying to be a gentleman, but in a sort of condescending kind of creepy way. Yeah, but if you see how that could have gone if it was... The AJ character there. Oh, God. Can you imagine? You know, how, yeah. how differently it would have gone. There is that fine line that he that he did because he could have either been like, I just want to open this up because, you know, women are crazy and they're you're going to think that I poisoned it. But also, 
the other end is maybe he does realize that women are vulnerable. Of course, she's going to be wary of her of her drinks, which is such a thing that women go through. Not just women. Did you watch the documentary on um, HBO Last Call? Yes, I, that was really good. I do not mean to make light of this. I swear to God, I was I was given something in Nashville. My friends make fun of me all the time, but I was I swear to God, I was given a pill, a roofie, whatever you want to call it. Like in your drink, bar. you didn't know it was there? I, someone gave me something. Yeah, I was talking. I, I, I even think I know it was. I was talking to a guy at a bar. I mean, and then next thing I know, and I had not had that much to drink. I was out and I had to be, but I had to be basically carried home. I was like unexplainably, like just instantly drunk. That is so scary. And the next day I was like telling him, I think that guy, and to this day, my friends still make fun of me. It's like, they just think it's ridiculous that a guy would be roofy. And I'm not saying this guy wanted to particularly do anything. I just think, well, I mean, maybe, but I, it was, I think maybe people just do that sometimes to see kind of what happens. Um, yeah. So he didn't actually give you a pill. I don't know what he put in my drink. And I, again, I can't oh. prove he did it, but I was with a guy for a while at a bar, uh, just the one I met there, you know, and then, and I had not had that much to drink all night. I mean, comparatively. Uh, and then just next thing I knew or didn't know, I'm just done. I'm just out. And it's like 10 o'clock at night. I didn't even make it till New Year's Eve. <laughs> uh, 100% he put something in your drink because you know how to handle your alcohol. You've never had an issue like that before, before, right? I mean, I've definitely like blacked out or whatever, but I'm talking about after like, you know, drinks and drinks and drinks or like just in college where you've just been drinking. This is just yeah. a night out where I've been sort of casually drinking. This is like our first bar, maybe your second bar, and I had not done much. Uh, yes, guys do get roofied, but women, I mean, and I don't know if roofied's still the term, drugged, I suppose. But I, I mean, obviously, it's much more prevalent for women. But this the scene with Skarsgård and, and her I, 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 is, again, I think the way it's supposed to play is, you're, you know, again, you're supposed to see it through her eyes. It's like a really weird, fucked up first date. <laughs> Um, yeah. Which I guess it could be if, if things had turned out differently. That'd be their that'd be their meet, I know. That'd be their meet cute, you know. I know because um, they do end up having so much fun together, and so they sit down and actually start talking. She realizes they actually do have a lot in common. He knows about this documentary that she talks about that she's going to be going to interview with the director, and she takes a picture of his license. It does say Keith on it. I thought that was a smart move, though. It was a smart move. I, I do like his, his the photo and his license. He looks just creepy as hell. <laughs> But then she looks at it later and she's like, oh, <laughs> but he's just giving full. Oh, like, I do love that part. She like zooms in on it and smiles. Yeah, but he's giving like full That's on sweet. Pennywise face. <laughs> I know. But it is interesting to hear how many times Tess apologizes. She says, I'm sorry. Does she really? So many times. I even pick and up on he that. never does. Yeah. But she actually brings it's that out a little bit in a way. Like she kind of calls him out on a, like if, if she was there first and he came to the door. Yes. After they have a little bit of wine and they sit down and they do open up to each other and she explains how she has a hard time not going back to these same guys I guess Marcus is one of them right now and then she does go through what the difference would be they kind of lay it out if he had come after she had been there there's no way that she would let him in yeah and, and I think you have to kind of understand that but her point is that he would just sort of barge in and he goes well you barged in and yeah but yeah but she goes but I had to <laughs> so it's, right. it's, it's a funny back and forth if you were there first and Bill Scarshard runs at the door his little slicker or whatever do you let him in or do you say absolutely not go find a fucking hotel would he be like all wet yes he'd be all wet <laughs> well I 
<laughs> that might be harder for me to resist. <laughs> okay, no, he's, he's dry. He's, he's, it's not even raining. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess there's no way, but also... That's the correct answer, by the way. <laughs> but what if he is violent? Like, there's nothing that she could be able to do if he was going to force his way in. Obviously, we learn later that police aren't going to help. Oh, yeah, that's so crazy. So, no matter what, it's still a scary situation. Yeah, I would suspect that you wouldn't even open the door, right? I mean, maybe look at the people and kind of see very tall scars guard there. Yeah. <laughs> like, Are you Alexander or Bill? <laughs> <laughs> it's unfair to ask you these questions, but I, I think it's just such a different dynamic than if it's a guy. Yeah, I mean, of course, I would be scared to let anyone in, but it's still just different. So then they wash her sheets that he was sleeping on and they're making the bed and it's very sweet. And I was just thinking that if this had been like AJ again, he would have taken the sign that she decided to drink wine with him, the sign that she laughed at his jokes, that they had fun together. He would take all that as an invitation to, OK, well, now we're going to we're going to move to the next level. Yeah. The duvet scene is kind of uh, I'm kind of fascinated by the trick he does with the duvet. I still haven't quite figured out what he's doing there. I guess he's attaching the sheet to the duvet somehow. So we don't have to he's holding holding the corners and then flipping it on the to the other yeah, side i was like way more mesmerized by that trick than i think i'm supposed <laughs> to be <laughs> i was like wanting to do it again but, but yeah that's I, I don't really think about comparing him to aj that's kind of interesting i was more about comparing aj to the previous owner and i thought that was sort of the comparison i guess you can compare all three of them yeah. huh i guess it's kind of like keith is on one end oh, and then yeah. frank's on the other yeah I actually didn't compare Keith and AJ until we started talking about it. So then they end up going to bed. And does she decide not to lock the door? I forget if there's a shot of her deciding not to lock it. Yeah, I don't think she locks it because she's kind of smitten a little bit. And, or at least she trusts him. She's smiling. She goes to bed. Later, there's a shot of her actively locking it. So they kind of yeah. make that point. But then that night when she's sleeping, some sound wakes her up. I don't know what it was. It almost sounded like kind of like a... Very I don't creepy. know. It was scary. And then she sees the doors open. Yeah. And from her view, she can see Bill Skarsgård asleep on the couch, I guess, having a nightmare. Some sort of, yeah, like a night terror almost. So that's a red flag. <laughs> but at this point, I guess it's too late. <laughs> and this is where the most kind of the first time where he seems actively unpleasant when she wakes him up and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's just kind of mean to her. I mean, he did. she did wake him up. True, but I mean, it, it seems like his reaction is a little bit extreme. Maybe because I guess he feels accused of opening her door, but yeah, she does wake him up, and she's he's already upset about that. I'm really curious, you know, maybe there's some backstory for him, what that night terror is all about. But I do like, you know, so that's when at least my memory, she goes back in her room and she locks the door, she locks it again, and I do like that when that sort of transition where she goes to bed, then like it's sort of, it's almost like a light comes on, then it's daylight. And there's uh-huh. that sort of great, you know, like that sort of feeling when you, when you wake up at someone else's house and you don't quite know where you are. The movie just somehow captures that. I'm not sure how. I think it's just the way the light comes in through the unfamiliar window. And as the audience is the first time, just because of the different lighting scheme, they really see the house as it's sort of, you know, in daylight. And she does, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then she gets up and when she goes out, she actually sees the neighborhood yeah. and how it looks and how everything is dilapidated. And also Keith leaves her a cute little note, though. Yeah, he did. I think he wanted to play nice for screaming at her in the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she walks out for the first time, sees the neighborhood, I guess as it is. And it's, it's very unsettling. And But you almost kind of wonder, well, why exactly? I, I mean, you know, it's, it is a bunch of dilapidated houses and it's, you know, blight everywhere. No one apparently 
lives there. And again, if they do, I presume they'd be, you know, squatters or whatever. Um, I mean, the houses are literally falling down. They're not livable. And there's a scene of her driving through the neighborhood and she's very concerned. But this is also what she's kind of there to do. She's supposed to be interviewing for a job that's going to be, I think, about some documentary about urban blights and some sort of remedial effort in Detroit to uh, maybe use some of the spaces and you know, I forget exactly. It's all very kind of sounds very rent and the sort of. <laughs> right. Um, well, because also we know that Keith, the Bill Skarsgård character, is somehow involved in the housing developments down right, there. Yeah. Or he's the lion tamers. The lion tamers. Yeah. Not sure what they I'm do, sure what that is. It sounds like unrelated to. <laughs> well, you have the Detroit Lions. Um, don't know. But yeah, it's kind of funny. They, they portray that almost as equally scary as some of the more horrific elements just the idea that she this sort of presumably you know middle class or more young woman is kind of caught in this space sort of unawares is somehow frightening and when it's just when you think about it it's just an idea this you know she's trapped in the space of other people with people that are presumably if they're even there at all you know lower income but when she meets the director that's you know directing this documentary for that she's applying for for this job i'm not sure what i guess she's like a production assistant or something um, even she comments, she, you know, she asks where she's staying and she's saying she's staying in the, is it Brightmore or? Brightmore. Yeah, it's a real area apparently. And the lady's like, oh, you, you can't, you can't be there. I think that's her phrase. You can't do that or something like that. Or you, oh yeah. She's like immediately shocked. There's not any sort of like, oh, that's not the best neighborhood. She's like, no, you yeah. should not be yeah, there. I think that's period. Quote, you shouldn't be there, which is kind of, you know, on the nose, but she's literally making a movie about this area. <laughs> Or maybe not that area specifically, but areas like it. Maybe that's why she knows. Like she maybe has done the research and knows that very bad things have happened there. I think it's supposed to be a bit hypocritical, as I guess, as I was saying. You, know, you have this very. Oh, OK. You know, OK. Like she doesn't like she would never stay there, you know, but she would go there and maybe exploit it for her documentary. Mm. I think that's maybe kind of what's going on there. That's interesting. There's nothing inherently scary about the neighborhood other than your own sort of kind of preconceived notions about it. But when she returns to the neighborhood and uh, what's his name? Andre, uh, she pulls up the house again. So she does return to it. I guess her shit's still there. <laughs> yeah, I think she's looking forward to seeing Keith too. True, true. Yeah. But, you know, she did just get this pretty vicious warning <laughs> that she shouldn't be there. But she gets back there and, she, and she's kind of chased. And I don't fault her for anything. Uh, yes, run inside the house. She's like, I chased you. I get that. Um, but Well, yeah, he's also, he's calling her little girl. Yeah. Which is just kind of disturbing. Yeah. So what's the quote he says? Because I thought this would be a good episode title. Um, the quote is, hey, little girl, come out that house. <laughs> I think that should be. Right. The <laughs> yeah, which is like, yes, correct. Get out of that house. He's just trying to warn her because of, uh, well, honestly, that is she She reacted appropriately. Any man or anybody chasing on the street screaming, you you avoid that. He was running at like full yeah. speed and then slammed into the yeah, door. I, he didn't calmly tell her, hey, you better get out of there. I was trying to think of other movies where there's a character like this who is trying to help and is perceived as a threat. And then it's not till later. <laughs> it's about Home Alone 2 with the, the Central Park lady with all the birds, the bird. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good it's one. Thing, That's right? a good one. <laughs> Actually, there's in Home Alone one. There's the the guy with the shovel, right? <laughs> That's true. That's another good one. <laughs> that's actually a good point. I, I mean, I that did kind of mind, but I, that's definitely a trope in horror movies. I guess you can take it maybe Friday the Thirteenth Part One. The guy that keeps warning about camp blood. He's just trying to warn them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But he's trying to get her from stop her from going to that house. So you kind of see 
from his viewpoint, there is a sense of urgency there. There's like there's a monster in there. She just walking, yeah. she's just walking in. This is the first time she calls the police. And she gets the 911 dispatcher on the line, and she's not very helpful. Yeah. It also kind of also gives you the first glimpse of how the police and the government feel about this particular area. They don't have any desire to help. They said there's not even a squad car available to come and help. Now, at that point, I would have grabbed all my shit and left if I had stayed the night. I've already done my job interview. I would leave Keith my phone number, and then maybe we could reconnect. But I'm getting out of there. Yeah. Well, she tries, but she has to. She has to pee. <laughs> so she has to go find toilet paper. Yeah. So you see, and how then that's how all... she gets down yeah. into the basement. Yeah. But also, even if I took a shit, Chris, <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> <laughs> I would not go down in the basement. I would just hop in the shower and wash myself off, then get out of there. But I mean, the shower in itself would be kind of scary. You have some guy outside screaming at you. You're, you know. Then I would hold it and try to make it to the hotel. What do you think the snake on the back of Tessa's rearview mirror represents? I don't Just know. What, men? <laughs> I, what I think it really is is something to identify that that's her car when Justin Long comes up later. There's got to be a reason why they chose a snake, though. I mean, don't you think it's got to be something to do with men being snakes and oh, a snake in the grass? I don't know. Also by the police, this is the, the first time she's told to calm down, mm. which happens a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Which is also something that women get told all the time. Like we said, she had to use the restroom and she can't find any toilet paper, which leads her on this journey to the cellar. The cellar locks behind her like, oh, no. So there's this, you know, great scene where she goes downstairs. We see the cellar for the first time. It's not that creepy, but she finds a rope attached to what, like the brick wall? Or I guess it's not a brick wall, but the wall. Okay. It's coming out of the wall. And she's like, what? And she starts pulling it and a freaking door opens. And now, I would pull that if I was still there. You would do that happens in the next 30 minutes, except for <laughs> you wouldn't wait for Bill Scar's car. You'd already be down there. You'd be hanging out with Mama. <laughs> like, there'd be no need to rescue you. But um, it's pretty freaky. I think you have to acknowledge. But that's a great scene when she pulls it and then the door opens and she says, nope. Yeah. Was this before or after? Nope. I guess this is. I think it was after. after. Okay. So maybe that's a little, yeah. nice little nod. But So, okay. I love the mirror trick where she takes the mirror and like um angles the lights into the hallway so she could see yeah i, I never would have thought about that that's the type of thing that oh, drives me crazy i never it's, never would have thought of that it's the type of thing they put in movies i think to make the audience feel smarter like oh yeah but no i would never <laughs> ever think about that hold on hold on hold on <laughs> what was that oh, brian's getting in the shower yeah Speaking of uh, showers. Talk about a creeper. <laughs> but I do like that she kind of says, nope. But then the, her, I guess her curiosity gets the best of her. Yeah, th- and then she finds another yeah, door. Yeah, I think when she shines the mirror, she kind of sees the, the reflection from the doorknob. And so she's like, well, okay, there's a door. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And I love how when she first starts walking down the hall, the sort of John Carpenter kind of music kicks in. And so what does she, what does she find, Kristen, when she gets to the little door? I mean, just a standard murder room. <laughs> just your standard. You can get it at Rooms to Go. It comes with a camcorder, <laughs> a bloody like bed, room. <laughs> <laughs> and a bucket that looks like it's got some stuff in it. Even a bloody handprint on the wall. Yeah. You can add that for another nineteen ninety nine if you want. <laughs> um, as soon as they showed that shot, that's when I started saying, nope, 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 nope. And I would have, I guess there's nowhere she could go. She's still locked down there. 
Yeah, there's something extra creepy about it being like uh, lit like by fluorescent bright lights. Like there's just no hiding what it is. Like it's like we say it's an obvious murder room or at least a torture room. Yeah. Um, versus the sort of very dark situation outside. The fluorescent thing to me makes it just so much creepier. Maybe because it's so sudden or something. I don't know. I just thought that was like a cool choice. Yeah, and and when Keith knocks on the door, so I scary. jumped out of my skin. Yeah, so scary. <laughs> And then there's a scene when her, she's like looking out the window. They're looking at the front of the house, you know, and you can see her down in the basement. And that just was kind of creepy because it just reminded me of all the women who had been down there and how many of them had maybe made it to that window to look out before he got them again. And ugh. And then so her and Keith figure out how to get the window open so he can get her in. And what does he do? He immediately tells her to calm down. Calm down. It's not that he doesn't believe her. But he just very much minimizes what she saw. I mean, he makes this point that he needs to see it for himself, which, sure, like, I get that. But this idea, like, well, it's just a, a you saw a room with a bucket and a bed and a mattress. That's it. It's like, no, yeah, that's that sounds pretty sufficient to be <laughs> yeah. to be scary. I don't know what else you want. Like, I guess like a, a, an actual body. But then she and I, I know they're trying to do the sort of red flag thing a little bit. They're trying to make it, I think seem like okay he's trying to trap her there he's the killer it's his room somehow you know how he's not really an airbnb guys I and mean, you're, you're thinking all these things i suppose but even when you know what really is going on he's just kind of being a jerk he's not listening to her he's actually even not even letting her leave well i mean i guess she still could have just left and left him down there and i guess i do see him wanting to go down and take a look for himself and i guess they don't know each other very well okay now i'm giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt because she's obviously she's freaked out but she didn't have to wait for him she still could have grabbed all her shit and left yeah it's been like that's enough but then i guess she still wants to check on him but he kind of begs her to wait yeah. not like there's any sign of anyone else down there so i guess i could see going back down and just being like yeah you saw it let's go let's go find a hotel and fuck all night <laughs> And get this relationship going. And she's worried about him. Like, he does go down. I mean, I think it was kind of a jerk move not to say, hey, I found this extra room. I'm going down the steps. Just keeping you posted. I mean, it's like he's... <laughs> I know. Just keep her yeah. posted. Yeah, that's all we want. If we're just out and about and you just text us, just let us know what's going on. That's all. So he's maybe not going to be the best boyfriend if it all worked out. But yeah, you're right. He goes down the steps. Um, she manages not to be locked out again, or locked in, rather. So that's good. Yeah, she slaps it with the with the chair. Kind of a cool visual later, but so she goes downstairs. He's nowhere to be seen for some reason. He just keeps going, uh, again, not telling her what he's doing. But then she goes down the dark corridor, and he's not in the the torture room. But then what does she find? Another door. Yes. It's Door City. <laughs> Is that the? Um, <laughs> oh, wow, Door City around here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so she finds the other door. There's a set of, you know, dark steps going down. God knows where. They look pretty deep. It's a straight up cavern, right? I mean, it's like a... Yeah, but there's like there's really beautiful, smooth shots of her going down the corridor, going down the next set of stairs, which I don't think I could do that. So that's where you would be. That's... Like, I kind of sense that you'd already be down there and that Keith be following you, like... (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to say. You know, maybe when we start our sometimes that is better tour and we start going to like abandoned hospitals and stuff, then we'll see how far that I push it. Because right now I would say absolutely not. But then again, what are the chances that there's someone down there? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, like, you're like, how long has this been here? I mean, 
they haven't really heard anything. Well, I guess they have heard a few things, haven't they? But, you know, it seems like chances are it's just deserted, maybe. But this is also the point where, like, I was kind of mad at myself for not seeing this in the theater. Because I think it'd be so fun to see the audience reaction to any number of things. But especially just her decision to, okay, I'm going down the damn stairs. And, like, I imagine a lot of people just screaming at the screen. Yeah, that's interesting, too. I wonder what the difference would be between when she's going down the stairs and investigating as opposed to when yeah, AJ I don't think is. Care when AJ. <laughs> but I wonder even if he wasn't already an asshole, even if he was if it was Keith who went down first, do you think people would be like don't go in there as much as they would to Tess? I don't know, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think Tess is such a great kind of viewpoint character like, you know, she's she's not like particularly vulnerable or anything but she's just sort of she's just smart enough to be scared at all the right things if that makes sense without being kind of annoying about it yeah i think she's really good at navigating these situations and these red flags but still being smart about it whereas america ferrera said so well we always are told we're too much we're too hysterical and so you have to navigate that too even when your life is on the line but also what if tess had gone down first and then keith came to come find her like, no one would be telling him it's stupid to keep going down there. They would think that he's being heroic. Oh, yeah. Right? That's an excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I did hate it when she looked under the bed. That really, I was like, don't look under the bed. That freaked me out in the murder room. Yeah. Another level when you see that second door, it just really likes, oh my God, I can't believe this. And she's going down there. <laughs> like. And then she goes down there and she finds old dog crates, yeah. and there's, which there's is there's super a creepy, creepy. Metal gate, you know, just. Right oh before, yes, right for the dog crates and well, also the idea of probably dogs weren't held in those. That kind of creeped me yeah, out. We see a dog bowls. So you're like, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, don't you think that people can eat out of dog bowls, Chris? But then she hears Keith yell for help. Yeah, and so you don't quite see him. But finally, after this quite long scene of her walking in the dark, he kind of—I guess—he kind of crawls up to her, run, run, oh, crawls it's up so to her. Scary. It's very scary. It's so scary, Chris. And he looks like Gollum or something. And he says, uh, you know, there's there's something down here with us. And she's like... Not only that, it bit me. Yeah. And even then, like, at least I, when I first watched this, was like, okay, he's lying. He's going to do something to her. Because there's this weird moment, which I still don't understand, where at least I don't, I don't get his motivations, where she's like, okay, great, let's get the fuck out of here. He's like, no, we can't go that way. But, like, why not? Because you got bit back there, right? <laughs> I know that bothered me too, but I think it was just another layer of, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's also just another thing that she had to go along with him instead of him listening to her. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, I was like, so he's still trying to control the situation when she knows better. She just came from that direction. We need to go back up that way. And then, then then we get our first shot of mama. Yeah. So this, I know where this, you know, this lady monster. Or I guess. I guess they call her the mother. The mother, yeah. I call her mama, but you're right, the mother. Um, well, you guys are closer. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so while Bill Skarsgård is pleading with her to go back the way he wanted to, this, I, I mean, uh, the, this lady, this naked lady monster thing runs up behind him, grabs his head, <laughs> and just bashes it into the, the cave wall several times. And I guess uh. she has super strength or something. But, man, this head just really comes right apart, and it's disgusting and great. When I say it, my whole body jumped out of its skin. Really? I mean, like, oh my gosh. Oh, so pretty, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was just like, can I get your brother's number? Right. Yeah, before you die, yeah. <laughs> and then the mama, mother, looks at the camera and kind of screams. And then it yeah. cuts to black, and then we're at the beach. 
such a good cut. Such a good idea. So I call this like act two, I guess. Like that was act one that we just watched. That whole yes. sequence. So act two was, you know, the sort of just a long segment of the movie. I love the, you know, the complete tonal disconnect between the mama screaming at the camera and then suddenly ocean, bright sunlight. <laughs> yeah. There's a song by, what's it? Oh, it's a Donovan song. It sounds kind of like a, yeah. like a beach song or something. And Oh, it's called a Ricky Ticky Tavy. Ricky Ticky Tavy. And then yeah. we see a <laughs> Justin Long just bopping along on the, <laughs> on the. I love. I love Donovan. You remember in the documentary, Don't Look Back? Oh, yeah. He was always hanging around with Bob Dylan. Yeah. He was so sweet. I always had a little crush on him. He was so cute. I know that. Be groovy or leave, though. <laughs> Be groovy or leave. Yeah, that tonal disconnect, which happens a few times, but I was trying to think of other movies, or at least horror movies, where something like that happens, uh, or some just misdirects that where you kind of realize, okay, this is not the movie maybe we think oh we're that's watching. a great point well, i guess psycho in a way because like you kind of think you're in a sort of crime movie about a lady stealing money then suddenly <laughs> that's meeting new characters halfway through yeah and because that's also a tonal shift you go from a crime movie i mean we, we think about differently because we all know what psycho is but i think watching the first time you don't you, there's nothing indicate that's going to be necessarily a horror movie i mean this feels like a a whole new movie we got it justin does. long yeah his little red car. Yeah, I mean, the, the vibe's different. You know, he's playing things a lot more comedic in a way. I mean, the subject matter is fairly serious. He's being accused of, you know, rape. Well, yeah. So it starts out with him getting a call from his publicist or his manager. Can I stop for a second? Like, I laugh about this once a week. But when he, and I don't know if it's intentional, but I think it's a joke. But when he gets the call and like knowing what the call is going to do, which is basically accused of, him of first what he thinks is sort of. You may be sexual harassment, then straight up rape. They said right. fired and all these things. And when he picks up the call, he's like, who's this? And he's like, oh, it's so-and-so. He's like, love it. <laughs> 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 that line derivative like, is such a, like, not knowing what he's in for. Just like, love it. He's so happy. It just cracks me yeah. up. I think about that once a week and I laugh every time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, go ahead. And what, is he, <laughs> what does he learn on the phone? Well, we learned that he was up for a pilot of a TV show called Chip Off the Block, which I'm sure would have been on. What do you think? Uh, is that a CBS show? It's definitely a CBS show, yeah. Yeah. It's right after Mike and Molly. <laughs> I guess his name was probably Chip. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Chip Block, probably. <laughs> now, the family that he's like living with is the Block family, and he's like the David Spade character <laughs> right. or something. Right. You know, it's crazy that he is, I think, older than us. He looks, he still looks so young. So there's an actress who says that he did something inappropriate with her. And then he, they're trying to skirt around it. They're saying, well, it's a little more serious than that. Uh, and then he's like, well, I didn't, he's not saying I raped her. And they're like, well, yeah. Yeah. And then he's just, just silent all of a sudden. Uh, but then he's more worried about his sitcom. Yeah. He's getting fired. And that's what he's very upset about. And then he's told that they're going to be releasing this into the newspapers tomorrow. Newspapers. You know what I mean? The, yeah. The <laughs> Hollywood Reporter is doing a story on it. Like, I, I know his thinking is like, oh, this is more cancel culture or Me Too culture run amok or something. And then, of course, yeah. you know, it's obviously not that. But he definitely is that. We don't know that yet, though. And uh, it's interesting because we're still like trying to figure out how is this connected. And it's really uh, not yeah. until he goes to see his financial advisor right. 
And then he's like, you have to liquidate these assets and you have 476 Barberry Street. And then we're like, okay. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, when, when, I, when I rewatch it today, like, this all happens in space like five minutes. But when I first watched it, it felt like forever, like, figuring out, like, what does this have to do with the fucking movie when it's watched? <laughs> right. But you, you actually learn this pretty quickly. It's kind of funny just how your mind works, I suppose. Because um, it's only one scene where you just have no idea. Then, like you say, the next scene is at his financial advisor. So he's not getting hired, I guess, by anybody. And so the his financial advisor says, well, with your income, you have three months because obviously he's spending too much money on whatever property has out there. But if you sell these Detroit properties, hint, hint, oh, he owns Detroit properties, then maybe you'll be able to you know cruise by at least a little bit longer. Yeah, so he decides to fly back to Detroit. Yeah, and also he fires him. He's like, I'm not going to do you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of a funny scene, too, because he's like, I'm going to give you back your files. And he's like, cool. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, what does that mean? <laughs> Justin Long is great at those type of sort of Oh, he is deliveries. so good. It's very funny. I kind of feel like he started out strong. He did Jeeper Creepers and a lot of comedies and some other horrors. And then, then he was the PC guy. Well, he was the Mac, excuse me. So rude of he me. Was he Mac? was the Mac. Okay. Oh, yeah. He was the cool one. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Do you want to talk about how and, you wanted uh, to start this episode out? Do you want to tell the <laughs> listeners? It was a great idea. I, I wanted to start out saying, welcome to Sometimes That Is Better. I'm a Mac. Then I was saying, and would say, I'm a PC. I'm a PC. Okay. But I say in a cool Justin Long voice, I guess. No, because I'm the Mac. Was Justin Long on Scrubs at some point? Why do I associate him with Scrubs? Uh, he has that kind of demeanor. I, I don't believe he was, though. Now, you know what he was on? Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I know you think that because Tom Cavanaugh was on Scrubs and Tom Cavanaugh had that show, Ed. And one of Justin Long's first shows was Ed. He was like a the teenager on that show. <laughs> I have no idea if that's how he got there or not, but he, he, I think he just seems like a Scrubs type of guy. Cut to he's going to Detroit to check out his, his properties and he pulls up at the yellow house that we you know and love. Well, first when he goes to the receptionist's office, that receptionist was so cute. Yeah. Remember he came in and got the keys and she was not impressed. Yeah, I guess you kind of keep waiting for people to react one way or another to him. But no one seems to really know or care about his life or these no. allegations. But yeah, so he gets the key of the property. He pulls up and then you see that, oh, okay, so um, Tess's car is still there. The Jeep is still there. Yeah, we're back, baby. We're back. And you kind of wonder, well, how long has it been? Maybe this is the next day. Maybe he's going to save her. And and then you learn it's been weeks, at least, because... Yeah, I didn't get that at first. At first, I thought, oh, is she renting the property out without telling him and, like, keeping the money or, like, not telling him that she's renting it? And I was like, there's no way she's been there for two weeks. And yeah. then when you realize that, oh, my gosh. Yeah, because they just had, they had no reason to really go back there because there's no new, I guess, tenant until... He gets there. But so she's been down there surviving on mama's milk? Yeah, you're not. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Interesting. Well, <sighs> maybe she throws some like granola bars down there or something. But uh. <laughs> She's a good mama. But I did laugh the whole time Justin Long was in that house and he was going, what the fuck? Yeah. Bro, yeah. what the fuck is this? Yeah, he's very bro that... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he sees Skarsgård's toothbrush, which, by the way, that did kind of creep me. I, I don't like that. Skarsgård kept his toothbrush on the floor of the bathroom. I, mean, I, know. I know. it's in this little charger, and I guess that's, I just didn't like that. It's like, you're going to put that in your mouth. Really? I thought of that, too, because I was thinking, okay, it's not actually touching the floor, but I was just thinking about, I don't know, your feet kicking up stuff on it. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't like I it. I think it's covered in poo. <laughs> but yeah, so he sees all the toiletries there. He's 
suitcases and he's like, oh God. And of course he sees the cellar, the cellar doors open. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the key thing outside is open. What the fuck? Fuck, dude. <laughs> so he's very funny about that. Look, I'm sorry. It's making me laugh so hard right now. <laughs> just thinking about it. So then AJ makes a phone call to his mom and you can already kind of get their dynamic. It sounds like he's a mama's boy. She kind of gives him whatever she he wants and then the dad seems to be cold and distant because she ha- he asked if dad wants him to come visit and the d- mom makes some excuse like well you know you know how your dad is yeah which kind of interesting seems like maybe he'd like to have mama well it's kind of funny later because he's literally you know <laughs> breastfed so i guess it's just sort of funny idea that he's a quote-unquote mama's boy <laughs> yeah. um i suppose that's sort of a, a weird joke but but yeah you also get a sense he's kind of just a, a dick you know he's talking to his mom about this you know quote you know bitch that's ruining his life and uh oh, yeah God. she definitely you know he did get fired and uh, but at the same time you know as we quickly learn like he really did what she's accusing him of if not worse well yeah also he doesn't even tell his mom he's in detroit like she's like you should come visit sometime and he's just like yeah well i'm busy you know yeah, well, so i mean who can blame <laughs> but <laughs> like okay we're on his side with that <laughs> But then he takes the next phone call, and then we really kind of get what kind of guy he yeah. is, right? And I didn't pick this up. I read that the the friend is played by the director. This is a um, yeah, I so saw that. Cool. Um, so yeah, there's a scene where you know he and his bro friend are at a bar, and they have this real annoying conversation that's based on one you know real talk. You know, this is all real talk, which I always oh, God. I hate. But wait, what did you think about him? using that slur when he answered the phone. I thought it was funny just because it shows exactly... It's funny the same way it's funny like in The Hangover where like Bradley Cooper yells at... Yeah. I mean, it just so, it just so instantly tells you what that character is like. It's obviously not meant to... I don't know. It's not meant to be yeah, funny. Yeah, it's not meant to be yeah. funny. I think also, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that, the movie's built uh, enough trust up to this point to where you, you can kind of get away with that, if that makes sense. Yeah, like you realize that they wouldn't use that word for just no reason right. or for a shock value or yeah, you, to try to be funny when it's not. Exactly. Yeah, I get yeah. that. You get the sense that this is, these are intelligent people making an intelligent movie. But yeah, so they go out to the bar and again, they're having a, a moment of heart to heart real talk. And I just hate when people use that word. It's, it's stuff they say like on, you know, the real world. And, um, <laughs> right. You know, just, I guess it's just a generation younger than us. I, I don't think we had that verbiage, but. But real talk, bro, real talk. Like, yeah, 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 dude. We got you, dude. You know. And so he basically admits to his buddy that, yeah, okay, sure. I he doesn't say he raped her, but he said that He was persistent. He was persistent. She did say, in fact, no at first. <laughs> but you know how women are, or you know how more or less admits in his own kind of way. Uh and I think he kind of admits it more to himself later, but but if he he tells his friend that everything she says, at least to the viewer, seems to be true. And he seems to have no real problem with that but he seems to want be more concerned with like sort of correcting the record with her you know he wants he's very adamant about calling her and sort of having this out because then even that night he goes home and calls her right and leaves a message which is as a lawyer is like bad idea you know don't <laughs> don't well yeah his lawyer told him not to yeah. his lawyer told him not to leave the state not to call her he and it also that does kind of inform what kind of character he is he does whatever he wants and the next morning, he has a hangover, and then he starts going through everyone's shit. And that's a pretty funny scene. So he goes through all of Keith's stuff, and he finds a copy of Jane Eyre. Yeah. 
So did you I catch did, that? For Jane Eyre. I've never read a Jane Eyre, but I, I know it has that subplot about someone's locked away. I'm not really sure, but. Yeah, we talked about it in our first episode, our Pet Cemetery episode. So we talked about, because in, in Jane Eyre, the mother is locked up in, her um, husband locks her up and she goes crazy and she ends up throwing herself off yeah. the building, I think. And so we talked about in that first episode about the mad woman in the attic. Right. That theme also kind of comes through here. Interesting. In our classic Nobel Prize winning first well, episode. Nobel Prize for that? <laughs> I forgot to tell you. You went to Stockholm or whatever it was? <laughs> I did. I forgot to okay. tell you. And then I fashioned that Nobel Prize bin into, into a right. weapon and I murdered all my enemies. Right. Also, well, all the psychiatrists that worked on you decades ago at the <laughs> <Yeah>. X-Files Hospital. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do like how <laughs> just Justin Long is so funny in this movie. But when he picks up the copy of Jane Eyre and he's like, he just kind of looks at it, he's like, "What?" <laughs> and I think it's because it's a guy's bag. I don't know, but then he just yeah. sort of discards it. Um, I also like the moment where he is looking through, I guess, her laptop and <laughs> throws it across the room because he can't unlock it. Uh, and then it just lands on the on the counter. It's so funny. Yeah. I also wonder what password he tried oh that, that'll be funny I, I got the sense he just was mad that there's a password period yeah <laughs> but yeah so he's mad he thinks there's squatters here and then um he notices uh, i guess he remembers that the the cellar door was open from the night before right but he does hear some sort of sound and thinks the people with the luggage are downstairs they're fuck with me or they're up no good so i'm gonna go scare them or get rid of them yeah he gets a little kitchen knife yeah says he has a gun or something like that Puts on his clothes and then. Oh, yeah. I like how he gets dressed. He ties his shoes, yeah. gets all ready. He's going to go down there and fuck him up. I think he even says that. I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah. Calls him bitches. Yeah. He, he says bitch <laughs> a lot. So. And then he gets down there and he finds the rope and he pulls the rope and goes in there. And then he sees. I like the scene because we see his reaction to seeing the camcorder. And we're like, oh, he's going to be so upset. And then when it cuts to him Googling, <laughs> can you include square footage? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was very funny. As a big Zillow fan, I really appreciate that. You know, someone that's always <laughs> looking at things. Oh, we do, too. You know what we do, Chris, is a lot of weekends we go to open houses. Oh, really? And sometimes we play House Hunters where we go look at three houses. And then we talk about which one we would choose if we could get really? it. You and Brian do that? Yeah. Is that <laughs> yeah. Like a whole family or? No, just me and Brian. We think it's fun. So fun. We're not going to be moving anytime yeah. soon, but it's it's fun. That is amazing. I love that idea. We we go and look at like one point four million dollar houses. We're like, hmm, yeah, I could really see. Uh, this could be Elise's room. Like the realtors and, there and everything. And <laughs> yeah. well, she's kind of there, but there's lots of other people yeah. around, so it's not too weird. That sounds like the makings of a horror movie itself, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> but this is kind of where it gets again, like this whole scene or sequence it's it's i wouldn't say it's comedic but it's definitely well it's more comedic than the rest of the movie you know this you know the music's different there's not like a lot of music or anything but there's not this sort of sort of john carpenter tonal horror music and then it's definitely playing it sort of light and breezy with these scenes so it's almost like it's i would say this segment of the movie kind of plays out like a satire if not a comedy almost a broad comedy. I mean, the, the sequence, you know, square footage, that's a funny freaking scene. There's nothing like that. That's so funny. Nothing like that at all in the first the first act or first 40 minutes. You know, it's, it's straight up. It's played pretty straight, you know? Yeah. Which is fascinating because once the foot does go downstairs and starts, you know, going into the same space as she went to, to me, it doesn't play out at all scary. 
mean, a little bit, but not, and I don't think it's supposed to. I mean, would you? Oh, yeah, you're right. Like, you would think that normally you'd be watching that thinking, like, oh, that mother character is going to come back out. I don't even think I thought about her. You're right. I was just thinking, how much square footage is yeah. it? Because he's just, his, he, you're kind of going along with him. He's not worried. Why would I yeah, be worried? So it's like a, Which is so much to do with a horror movie is you're kind of sometimes feeling what the character exactly. is feeling. Like you're a little, and that's what's so yeah. fascinating to me. And I never really thought about that, but it's so subjective. So because it's scary to Tess, well, and it's, then it's scary to the, well, the camera and it's scary to you as the audience because you empathize with her. He's not worried about any of this shit. You know, he's just he's just going down there. He's bopping along. He's walking backwards. He's got tape measure. You know, he, he's got he's got his flashlight. You know, he's not. You know, he it doesn't seem to even occur to him. Well, I mean, of course, it wouldn't occur to anybody that there's a you know monster mother down there. But I mean, I guess you would think there's something if it, or. Well, he did hear something, yeah. I think. Um, that's why I went down there. But that's an interesting point because the whole time I was just thinking the differences between. How Tess investigated it, how Keith investigated it, as opposed to how AJ investigated it. But also, it's interesting to think about how it makes you feel yeah. as a viewer. And then he, so he goes down and he finds the cages. Yeah, and he's like, oh, and he that? just <laughs> still, yeah, he still just measures that little area that they're in. And then he finally gets to a room that we haven't seen yet. We haven't made it this far. No, we haven't. Yeah. There's a little room with like a pink light going on in there, and he goes and checks that out, and it's showing some sort of breastfeeding video yeah. some kind of dated video about babies and then is there just like blankets on the floor yeah it's just kind it's of look like, like comforters a, or something yeah did you use, use that term palette did i say the word palette is that a southern term palette? i don't think so oh okay because when i first moved to the south i moved to the south when i was like in fourth grade and i remember hearing the mom when i had sleepovers the mom would always say well we can make a palette i put a palette out never heard that before just a bunch of blankets <laughs> palette. Oh, okay <laughs> I swear it's like a southern it's term because <laughs> it wasn't just that Jan. mother. <laughs> Jan's not southern. Uh, true, I've never heard it's that. Like, oh, we'll just make a pallet. We'll put all these blankets and pillows down. And y'all can sit down on there on the floor and watch your oh, movie. Yeah, I guess I know what you mean. Yeah, I haven't. I don't know. Maybe it is southern. I haven't heard that used in that way in a long time. I hear pallet. I think about a pallet, like a wooden pallet. Yeah, but I'd never heard that until I moved here. I had a lot of shock value. When I moved to the South, a lot of things I hadn't heard before. So, yeah, so he's in the, the breastfeeding video room. <laughs> we all have those, right? <laughs> right, lit. yeah. Um, it's sort of lit with, like, pink light or something. It's pretty cool. Um, and then someone grabs his tape measure, and that's pretty scary. But, he, but, but even then scary. he's like, oh, please. Like, he, I guess he thinks it's a prank or something. <laughs> but, but then he comes across the creature. It's pretty freaky, but he gets thrown in the cage. So we, f- we see Mother, who is played by Matthew Patrick Davis, another guy, which is interesting. Remember, we talked about in Pet Cemetery, Zelda is played by a man, oh, too. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. And so do you want to talk about Mother for a minute? Sure. Just like the, like, does she scare you? Um, Yeah. Well, at first, for sure. I mean, a lot of that has to do with just the surprise of her and the sort of jump scare and she's naked and kind of reminds me of well, Zelda is a big comparison. It did remind me of Zelda a little bit. The game, no, <laughs> from Pet Sematary, <laughs> and uh, a little bit of the, a little bit of the Naked Lady and the Shining, the sort of kind of yeah, body yeah. horror of it. What kind of uh, bummed me out is I had just happened to rewatch the movie Wreck, which is a Spanish movie, found footage movie. Have you seen no, it? No, I haven't. It's a plus, oh. and there, I will tell you, there is a monster that's very similar to Mama. So I had just watched Wreck. And then so when I watched this, I was just, it, it didn't give me that, like, 
I was just kind of like, oh. But that was like in Wreck. I also, for some reason, it kind of bothers me that in a lot of these modern horror movies, the scariest thing we can think of is a naked old lady. Like, is that the scariest thing? Yeah, true. Well, it also reminded me of the home episode from the X-Files, you know. Oh, so much, yes. Um, but it wasn't really the nudity that bothered me. It, it just, I didn't even really think that part was gross. But just this idea of like, uh, she's obviously suffering and it's just sort of, the idea of her is scarier more so than the presentation of her, if that makes sense. And you, and you kind of get that from the get-go. The idea of her being a victim yeah, like, and what she has gone through yeah. and how she lives her life. The creature throws him into the cage and then we see, oh, Tessa's still alive. And we're like, yay. But then it cuts to black and then we have a another tonal shift. I don't even think it cuts to black this time. I think it goes straight to this sort of scene in the past. And I say the past is just the 80s. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Like I was alive <laughs> then. Like I first thought, oh, this must be the 50s because it's like. 30 years ago. Well, 30 years ago is the 80s or whatever it is, 40 years ago. But it's bright sunshine. It's, you know, the scene is uh, cropped differently, you know, where it's just. Oh, yeah. I noticed that. That was so interesting. Edward's scissor hands type. Oh, it does. Yeah. And it's like this sort of pristine neighborhood. You know, it's back when I guess the economy was better than area. There's a you hear the um, there's a radio in the in the car that the guy's in and um, as there are. And they clue you in what it is because they mentioned that Ronald Reagan has done right. something to make the economy the best it's ever been. So, like, you know, okay, we're firmly in the 80s. I did read online that the only CGI in the whole movie is to make the, the yards green because they couldn't grow the grass fast enough. Oh, that was kind of fascinating. So all the yards are fake, people. But so who do we meet in 1980-something? Oh, we meet Frank, who's played by Richard Brake, who's creepy in a lot of things, isn't he? Yeah. Um, you know who he played? The Night King in Game of Thrones. Fascinating. Yeah, I read that on IMDb today. And I was like, "What?" Well, I forgot what the Night King even was, but I immediately... It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. I, yeah, it has been. He also was in Peaky Blinders and also in something called Barbarians Rising. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. He has a very familiar face, but when I looked on IMDb, the only thing I really have seen is Game of Thrones. No, he he played Joe Schill in Batman Begins. <laughs> That's where I recognize him from. Did he really? Yeah. Joe Chill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but yeah, so he, uh, what is Frank doing? He's he's leaving his house and he's going grocery shopping. And I guess he's shopping for baby supplies, right? Well, at first he asked the lady for plastic sheets, mm. which is kind of creepy at first. But then he asked for diapers and, and then she realizes, oh, he's having a, well, she, he says he's having a home birth. And then she's kind of like on board and she's like, okay, let's get you all set up. And she gets all of his stuff for him to have this home birth, which is just extra creepy because you kind of already know that he's up to no good. Yeah. I mean, you, I guess, pretty quickly realize, well, he's, this is where it all started. I mean, I mean, you've kind of, the movie's kind of clued you into what's going on now. But so yeah, he leaves the grocery store and just immediately starts following some lady. So I didn't think about this until we just started talking about him seeing the brunette, but there's, the shot is through the window of the car. That's the opening shot that we see oh, of Tess. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I didn't catch that. And so they're shooting through the window past Frank, and then we see the car, and then we kind of follow the car, and then he follows her home. And then he gets out and gets in his trunk, and he, you see he has some kind of coveralls. So he's going to go and pretend to be someone from the water company. Yeah, I called him a power man, and I thought that's not a word. <laughs> <laughs> I think he says he works for some power company, but... Yeah. yeah, that's a very creepy scene. He goes inside this, this lady's house and opens the window to, what, the bathroom from yeah. the inside. And then he's like, okay, <sighs> you're good. <laughs> I gotta go. 
And you never quite it's, see what happens later, but you know, you're well, you find her dress in the basement. Oh, that's her dress. Okay. I didn't yeah. catch that. So we kind of get the whole idea of him. You do. And that's that sequence. He he goes back. I do like when he goes to the house and you can see what it used to look like inside, you know, just as a house person. <laughs> and again, I mentioned this earlier, but it's much, it's, you know, obviously less modern, but it's, you know, it's very kind of you know, warm and inviting. There's lots of food everywhere and they have that sort of 80s wallpaper and, you know, clutter. Like someone actually lives there, um, which yeah, is a fun yeah. comparison to sort of what I would argue is a very, very sort of sterile kind of sleek minimalist look to the new place but you realize okay you, there's also a woman screaming in the cellar also a shot of him talking to his neighbor who's played by uh, kurt braunholder do you know him yeah. he's a comedian and you would love him he's hilarious so this is where we kind of get the idea of the whole white flight thing that happened to detroit and I guess this ties back to the whole thing that Tess is going to be doing the documentary on, right? Yeah, yeah. The neighbors says, I'm putting a sign in my yard. I'm leaving. It says the neighborhood's going to hell. Frank seems like kind of unconcerned about all this. But, you know, you see the beginnings of what becomes the neighborhood um, that we recognize later. And, it, and you're right. It's not really – it's because of white flight, arguably, and other things. It's not through any particular – anything endemics the neighborhood, you know. It seems like a very nice neighborhood when they're there. I don't know a lot about Detroit. I mean, I know – Eight Mile. <laughs> yeah, that's all I need now. I know, obviously, that the uh, automobile companies were there and they shut down and it caused a lot of job loss and stuff like that. But I, I don't know a lot about it. I think that those shots were kind of actually from Detroit. Is that right? Like some of those rundown buildings and stuff? I don't know. I mean, I, there would, are neighborhoods I can't imagine like that. that being in Bulgaria. I mean, it just doesn't look like Bulgaria. I've never been there. <laughs> I don't know. But... Haven't been to Detroit. Haven't been to Bulgaria. Do you remember that the movie It Follows was in like the Detroit area? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they lived outside of Detroit and they went down into the city. But there wasn't the same idea about Detroit. Also, you didn't know what time period It Follows was in, which is very interesting. If you remember, like they had just like all different types of yeah. technology and things. So you didn't really know. But. I think the director, I was reading an interview with, with him today. And I think the reporter asked him, like, was there any particular point to you making it? They're setting in Detroit. Like, he's like, well, no, not really. I, I lived there for a long time, so I know it. But he wasn't making a particular social or political point other than it's just sort of a kind of easy signifier like like we've never been to detroit but we kind of know what it's supposed to be kind of like after this scene we're back into the basement back into the hole where aj and tess are and then mama's up there and we know that her name is mother in imdb but mama sounds better yeah, i think she would like that so better. mama yeah mama's trying to give a baby yeah. bottle she's having a great time by the way she's she has two she, guests there now. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of, I do kind of wonder, like, how long has it been since she's had anyone? Because, oh yeah, it doesn't, there's, I mean, there's nothing to suggest that he's been terribly active lately. I mean, he's pretty. I mean, you learn Frank has been kind of decrepit for a while, kind of just shacked up in his bed and not moving very well. So she may have been fairly lonely. It makes it kind of sadder. So anyway, she's thrilled. She has like two people. I mean, yeah, they're in a cage. <laughs> But she gets to play with them, and uh, so she... Yeah, she's pulling out all the stops, so she puts the baby bottle down there. The baby bottle nipple has hair on yeah, it. Which I, I know it's gross, but it actually made me laugh because I have long hair, and my kids often have to pull my hairs out of, like, their food and stuff, so... <laughs> but it's also kind of, I don't know, it's kind of sweet, and you know, she's just, she's trying to feed them. AJ's, like, not really having it. Not that I really blame them, <laughs> but... 
you know, and but Tess has, you know, been down there much longer and is, I guess, probably hungry. And Tess says something like, she just, she just wants you to be her baby. Yeah. And she also says, you cannot get upset. You get upset. She gets upset. Yeah. Which also kind of goes back to the idea of being a woman and not supposed to be getting upset. You're supposed to, you know, be a proper young lady. And in this case, this mother type character is kind of like, I don't know, maybe like the id of like a woman. Like you just want to be able to, sometimes you just want to grab a guy and bash his head against the wall, but you can't do that. (laughs) I do like when she jumps down the cage and kind of just hugs Tess, you know, and Tess sort of just kind of puts up with it. And Tess doesn't seem particularly like, she doesn't seem to have any particular animosity towards the mother or mama. It's kind of interesting. Like she's yeah, she kind of seems to understand immediately what's going on here. Yeah, she she knows and what she's have about. have that empathy that yeah. maybe more women have than men. Yeah, I mean, who knows what's happened in those four or five weeks or whatever it is. <laughs> maybe they've had long conversations, you know. <laughs> you know, it's not like she's saying we have to get out, we have to kill her, you know. that I mean, she obviously later tries to do that very thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But Tess drinks the bottle, AJ refuses, and then Mama drags AJ out of there. And so Tess finally has the opportunity to escape. She jumps up. There's a very funny letterbox review. The whole review is just boop. And then in parentheses, it says, you'll see, because that's what she does to AJ when she drags him up into the room and she starts trying to breastfeed him, trying to make him do something he doesn't want to do for the first time, because usually he gets whatever he wants. But then when she does the little finger down the nose and then boops him on the nose... Oh, my gosh. I guess you get the sense that that whole downstairs hallway, cavern, cage, breastfeeding room, that's all kind of her domain. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess the other room where it's just Frank is, it seems like they don't really interact much. In fact, she seems to refuse to go in that room. Yeah, that was interesting later when it's meant to seem like she's the monster, but she won't even go in there because we know who the real monster is. Yeah, she does go in the house. That's good. She gets... yeah, she gets out, gets some fresh air. So that's kind of nice. I guess she goes out and terrorizes the neighborhood, but, but still. So then Tess gets out of the hole, and she yes. walks by and sees what's happening to AJ, and she, good for her, keeps walking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's she getting? She's like, what am I going to do about that? <laughs> so she goes and gets her keys, she gets in her car, and then, but Mama follows her. Yeah. She goes, oh, because she hit the tape measure. Right. So they use that as another scare, Yeah. And then Mama follows her. It's such a scary shot when Mama comes out of the window and then her like kind of receding back into the darkness. And then our our friend Andre comes in and helps Tess get out. And he's like, see, I told you. Remember when I told you, little girl, that you shouldn't go in there? (laughs) And she's like, oh, and they hug and the movie's over. And so Tess runs off to a gas station to try and get help. And we have the police show up. And that was... The most infuriating scene when the police just don't take her seriously. I mean, you kind of get it in some respects because I'm sure they do deal with that a lot. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't look great. And she's yeah. yelling about a monster and, a, you know, I, yeah, I, I can definitely. I mean, if someone called me, I'd be like, yeah, OK, this is a crazy person. But, but it's also kind of the same thing she did to Andre at first. Yeah, and it's not that dissimilar reaction that she got from uh, Skarsgård. Yeah. yeah, but they eventually become just outright antagonistic to her, so it's, it does get pretty infuriating. Do you see that as them being more um, dismissive because of the area she's in, or because she's a woman? I mean, or I think both? it's both. both. Yeah, I mean, I think if AJ had come out there, what would the difference have been? Or what if, what if it was a woman cop? What would there be a difference? Yeah, I mean, it seems like the analogy is like you know, 
you know, women are not believed. I mean, it's not like she's she doesn't have a this isn't a sexual assault story for her, but that's kind of she kind of is representative of all these other women. Oh, yeah. I 100 percent wrote that in my notes that it's just very representative of women who are dismissed and, you know, not believed. I mean, there's that great miniseries Unbelievable on Netflix. Very good. Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing to me that Danny Masterson actually got convicted of rape recently because, I mean, usually you get like 14 months, you know, probation, whatever. He got 30 years. And that's just so huge, especially for those women that were involved with his case. So Tess gets no help from the police. They actually just accuse her of breaking the window and saying that she's the one who's squatting. This is a pivotal point. Like she has to decide, do I go back and save this guy or do I save myself? Which kind of goes back to, do I call Marcus back or do I keep rejecting his phone calls? You know? Yeah. There's also, it kind of occurred to me today that like we know how bad AJ is, but she knows nothing about him. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's he's, just like, a, he's a human being. Yeah. And she's seen him for all 30 seconds. I would argue in that 30 seconds, he was already <laughs> fairly abrasive, <laughs> but still, I kind of get that. I mean, maybe he's a little bit of a substitute for Keith. You know, she watched Keith die. So I kind of forget when I watch that, like, you kind of, yeah, fuck him. Don't go after him. But she doesn't know any of that. She doesn't know that he's a dick or that. Oh, yeah. So she probably feels that, like she didn't couldn't save Keith. So maybe she could save this guy. But AJ's still down there still exploring. <laughs> he found another room. Yeah. So he goes into this next room. Which the mama will not Frank. go in, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You see there's like yeah. a power line that's kind of going into the room that's, I guess, sourcing him with power. And there's also like a dinner bell yeah. What is that about? I guess that's who rings that. Do you think the mama rings it? Or maybe he rings it when he's he needs help. Like he's bedridden. But it's way on the hall. Oh yeah, maybe he rings it and then Maybe he has like a cord to it. But it seems like she won't go in there. So anyway. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, not really sure what that's about. But but yeah, so he's been in there God knows how long. At what point did, did he say like, fuck life, I'm going down to the dungeon and I'm just gonna live there forever? With my videos. Yeah. Like, uh, how long has he been down there? Like, did he give up the title of the house? Like, I'm, I have all these, like, title issues. Like, what what happened? Like, did he... Because <laughs> presumably he would still own it. Or maybe he lost the house. And But yeah, anyway, Justin Long goes into the, like, 15th secret room and then finds Frank lying in bed. And immediately tries to help him. Well, in his own way. Like, he's trying to get him water. What do you need? I'm going to get you out of here. Or, well, someone will get you out of here. <laughs> you know, he's kind of, like, trying to help this guy not realizing that mama is not actually the monster yeah. this is the monster he's yeah. found the monster yeah as andre says there's there's worse things than her down there or there's something yeah. like that oh and then one of the most upsetting things to me was the the pan of the videotapes oh yeah i wrote that down too that was so creepy and i i actually paused it and i wrote down all of them i'm not going to read them all but i just kind of felt like i even though they're not real victims but it there are victims that go through this with these serial killers. So I did write them all down because I felt like they all needed to have a voice because it was just like so disturbing. And the way he just described them is like nothing. I mean, one of them was called Pregnant. That one. Yeah. One of them was called Jane Screamer. Won't Stop Crying. I mean, that this one is is when it really like disturbed me. Like it's not just fun and games anymore. And then one of them is like Irish Accent puker one was called suicide oh my god i can't uh but then so aj sees that one of the tapes is in the vcr redhead gas station 
pushes it in. And then we presume that he he watches a bit of it and realizes what's happening. And he's, you know, to his credit, horrified. And he turns to the dude and is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? How, whatever he says. But there's also an interesting, you know, irony there, obviously. He himself is a sexual predator. He's, right. he's you know, at least once. <laughs> um, he's a rapist, you know, by his own admission. And so it was interesting how he's able to sort of qualify what he's done for. I mean, obviously, I guess there are layers <laughs> of what's going on there. But at the end of the day, they're both rapists. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, sort of deflection there. And it's also kind of interesting, like the former owner of the house, Frank, is this absolute, you know, monster, you know, and it's all based on, and to some extent, sex. And the current owner of the house is also a sexual predator. So it's almost like, yeah. it's almost like, um, and, uh, you know, Justin Long's character, AJ, has sort of inherited it. Yeah, he's taken over the mantle, even in this, even in this sort of weird, diluted kind of, you know, way that maybe you don't think it's as scary or creepy, but it's it's still a woman being raped. I mean, yeah, I guess she's not locked up in a dungeon or whatever, but, but how do you qualify such things, you know? Um, right. So it's kind of funny. Like, who's the barbarian? Is it Justin Long? I don't know. Like, it's, he just saw the latest incarnation of the Frank character. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, so after AJ finds Frank, I kind of started getting nervous thinking, oh, are we somehow going to have some kind of like redeeming ending for AJ? It's not that bad. This is the worst. So I was starting to feel nervous at this point. Like, you know, where was the director going with it? I think there is a bit of that. Yeah. That's what I was kind of getting at, too. And it is kind of worrying. Like, what are they saying here? Like, So then Frank ends up finding a gun kills himself aj grabs the gun and so now aj is trying to get out but then at the same time we have tess coming back down to try to help aj and unfortunately they find each other and all tess sees is his flashlight before she gets shot by him yeah which i mean i could see that happening but then the way he responds to it is just so much more of just like the typical aj bullshit just like already thinking oh, well, this was an accident. Make sure you let everyone know it's an accident after he realizes she's alive, you know? Yeah, it's very, you know, self-serving. And so, the, but then they both get out of there and she tries to tell them, we need to go to the water tower. I know where to go. At least he goes with her. And he, we forgot she had already run over mother with a Jeep. <laughs> oh, right. So there was that scene. Mother comes out, a very scary scene. Like as soon as it's dark, like minute one, like six and one, she's out of that fucking house. <laughs> she's ready to party. Yes. <laughs> gets her jeep and just rams into her and kind of crushes her up against the and assume she's dead um, so that's kind of the last we see her and then she and aj come out and we see oh well, she's not there anymore mother's mother's gone what is it with incest and them assuming that that makes them have superhuman strength remember even in the episode of x-files home the boys had superhuman strength you know are we missing something here yeah. maybe we should be doing incest so we could be like having yeah, this like super strong <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <yeah. laughs> Have I mean, a bunch of Gabriels running around. Right, yeah. I mean, I guess it makes you look horrific, but you can like lift a whole ass human being and throw them across the room or something. So that's pretty pretty powerful. I kind of liked when they all went back to the water tower. And so it's AJ, Tess, and Andre. And Andre is going to tell them about Tess. And so normally, like in a movie, there'd be like a long, or if it's a Mike Flanagan movie or a TV show, there's like a long backstory, there's a long monologue, and all AJ's, all Andre says is, 
she's just some crazy lady who lives in that house. Ooh. That's all you would get. And then and then she kind and then he kind of says like, yeah, he was having kids with the, their kids, yeah. and it's just. I a, think part of that is that you've kind of already figured all that out by what you've seen. I think so. I think this is just sort of confirming. I would guess what the audience hopefully has picked up. I mean, you've seen him, you've seen the videos, you've seen the flashback. The only idea, the only, I guess, question is like, well, is that his wife? Is that his daughter? I guess it's both. I'm not really sure. But Yeah. So then you kind of figure out yeah. it's a lot even darker than you th- yeah. even realize. It's creepy to me for some reason when he says she's a copy of a copy of a copy. I don't know. That just. So then we get to our last major scene. Andre says, mama's never gotten in here. And she busts through like the Kool-Aid band. <laughs> <laughs> Which I kind of felt bad for Andre. Like, he's just trying to help. Yeah. And he gets his arm ripped off and then beaten to death with it, which I have to say, it's still, that's a good death. It's a good death, but it seems excessive for this, like, the one redeeming character. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, Sarah's, but, um, and, you know, I guess Keith. But uh, uh, but before that, you know, we, we do get the scene where um, I call it AJ's redem- redemption oh, scene. Oh, right. Or at least he seems um, genuinely, I, I would, it seems like, you know, sorry for what he's done. I guess he's thinking about the rape. Uh, and he says, maybe I'm a bad person or maybe I'm a good person that's done bad things. And he's sort of tearing up. And of course, and then you have the, the Kool-Aid moment. Yes. And so I, uh, I, and I was getting more nervous. Yeah. But then at this point, and I was like, later, I can't. Though, yeah, I know. I'm so glad they didn't give you any more time to think about it yeah. because I was like, I can't take it if that's what this is. Yeah, it's just another self-serving moment. It's like he's telling this to himself. Then you notice the camera is only on him. You don't see Tess's reaction yeah. or even a well, Andre probably wouldn't give a shit. But you don't. <laughs> yeah, I guess Tess has got her own stuff going on. But it is. It's completely. You know, it's just it's something like he's the main star of his own movie. It's his story. And of course, five minutes later, that's just all out the window. You know. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, so then they run away from Mother. They're running up the water tower. Tess asks him to wait, and he's like, I can't, and he just leaves her. <laughs> and they're running up the water tower, and then Tess reminds him he has the gun. So he gets the gun out, and what's he do? Drops it. He drops yeah. it. Yeah, so they're all on top of the water tower. Mama is full-on chasing them both at the water tower, and AJ says something like, I can save myself. Right. Yeah, I, I can get away, but you're going to have to... Slow her down is what he says. Right. And then he yells at the mama, who's also now on the top of water tower, which must have been a quite an adventure for her. I mean, she's probably looking around. <laughs> but he goes, you know, hey, come get your baby. And then what does he do? So then he throws yeah. Tess off. It's a very shocking scene. Yeah. He throws Tess off. And mama flies off after her. Yeah. It's very sweet. It's a very cool shot, too. So then AJ comes back down. And checks on them, assuming making sure they're dead. But then Tess comes back alive. And immediately he's like, oh, my gosh, I had to yeah. do it. It's just like, talk, like, talk, he's talk. Like, just the same excuses. Like he's almost like, I was trying to grab you and you let go or something like that. And he blames her. <laughs> right. Um, which is sort of I the know. last final touch to sort of solidify what that character is all about. you know. But then he realizes Mama's still awake. Mama wakes up. And AJ has just a great death. He really does. Yeah, it's disgusting. So he gets his eyeballs squished out and his head ripped apart, which apparently that happened in Jeepers Creepers to him, too. Oh, really? Okay. The scene with the fingers in his eyes, which is always, I'm surprised more movies don't do that. It's always shocking. It's never not shocking. It's it's always Um, disturbing. It's particularly gross in this movie. There's like some mucus coming. It's really good. It's just good death. And then the ending, I think, is is pretty sad. I mean, I think that. 
Tess kind of gets her. Tess says, I can't go back down there. And Mama doesn't understand what's happening. And yet she's still trying to be a she's mama. Like, no, we'll just go back and, and I'll, yeah, we're, we're good. Yeah. It's like baby. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very sad. Yeah. And she doesn't know what the gun is. That may be sad, too. Like, she sees the gun that's, that Tess is pointing at her head. Um, I mean, justice for yeah. Mama. Let's just say it. <laughs> for yeah, sure. Yeah, so Tess shoots her. I guess there's nothing else she could do. <sighs> and then title yeah. sequence. And then it, it goes back and it's playing Be My Little yeah, Baby. Yeah, the runettes. Um, yes. That was such a, that's a great moment, too. I love that music cue. So Phil Spector produced that song. And he also basically kept his wife locked up in his house and she escaped like with the help of her mom or something. Right. Um, so people were wondering, like, well, was that like intentional? But I'm not sure if anyone ever asked the director that. But yeah, it's a great, a great, great ending. Lots going on. I love that movie. I think that's a just, you know, I've seen again, I've seen it probably this is probably the fifth time I've seen it. I suspect, you know, it's not the type of thing you can watch too often because it's, a lot of it is dependent upon shock value to some extent. Yeah, it's pretty great. And then they have the scenes of Tess getting up and limping away. Women have to just take this pain and pregnancies and this blood and they just have to keep moving on with their days. They got to pick up and go and go on to the next red flags. I love it. I am genuinely surprised that a man wrote that movie as well as he did. Is that am I being sexist to men? (laughs) Probably. That's okay. We deserve it. (laughs) Well, I do have a true crime corner. This is scary. (laughs) Well, it's actually not as scary as you think it'd be. So we did talk about like the whole idea of the Jane Eyre book and the mad woman in the attic, but all that kind of goes back to our first episode. So I've already talked about Blanche Monet, who was imprisoned by her own mother. Also in that episode, I had mentioned Elizabeth Fritzel, who was imprisoned by her father and had seven of his children. Also, there was I mean, there's so many, unfortunately, stories of women being kidnapped and held and held hostage. Jamie Kloss, who was abducted in 2018, and uh, she escaped in 2019. There was the serial killer and kidnapper Ariel Castro, who kidnapped women and raped them in Cleveland. He kidnapped three women and held them for 10 years. One of them gave birth to his babies, Amanda Berry, and Lily Rose Lee had five miscarriages of his. And also Gina de Jesus was also held by him. So there's like tons and tons of examples of this. Also, another one I thought of was the idea of him dressing up as a service provider made me think of the Boston Strangler. But I can't tell that story any better than everybody else who's told it. So there's a new Keira Knightley movie out called The Boston Strangler, which is okay, but it tells you the story at least. Is that the one that's Keira Knightley's always whatever? Yeah, it's always good to see Keira Knightley. But I also recommend the book by Sebastian Junger, uh, Death in Belmont. It's a it's a pretty good book. You know, Sebastian Junger also wrote um, A Perfect yeah. Storm. What's so interesting about that is because the main suspect of the Boston Strangler murders, Al DeSalvo, actually worked on his home. On Sebastian Younger's and was like in, Oh, crazy. Yeah, when he was a kid. So that's a good book. Also, there's a great podcast called The Stranglers. Or it's actually just called Stranglers. But, okay... I told you that I found a crazy true crime that connected with the television show, The O.C. Do you mind if we take a complete left turn? Okay, always. Let me crack open this beer. <laughs> I didn't mean to find this true crime. Oh, I, I, I know I, what like, you're going to talk about, and I don't believe you for a second. No, I am like Will Graham. <laughs> like, I just want to retire. I want to go work on my boats. And Jack Crawford just keeps yeah, finding me. So The O.C. keeps pulling you back in, no matter what you want <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, so I'm rewatching the OC as a good millennial, right? Do you rewatch it often? I'm just curious. I haven't seen it since. I haven't seen it in a long time. This is just one particular thing that happened. So as I'm watching it, obviously it's been 20 years. So I look up the actors, right? What are they doing? How's the guy that played Zach? He's doing great. Everyone else seems to be doing really well. So in season three, Marissa Cooper goes to a new school and she makes new friends. Okay, so I'm looking up the actors. There's one particular character who plays kind of like the Seth character. If you don't watch those, see Seth's like the comic relief. He's so funny, right? So this new character is kind of the same. He's very silly. He's funny. Very cute, blonde hair. So I looked him up. His name is Johnny Lewis. He plays Dennis Chili is his nickname, Childress. And I look him up and it says that he died in 2012. So I'm like, oh, that's sad. And then I go down this rabbit hole. Okay, so Johnny Lewis was an actor in L.A., started acting as a kid. He was also a writer and a painter. He was involved in a lot of charity he was on the shows like Drake and Josh. He was on Malcolm in the Middle. And then he was on the OC in 2005. Like, even around this time, he dated Katy Perry. What? Like, he's a pretty well-to-do actor. He was in movies, and he was in Criminal Minds. And then he was in 26 episodes of Sons of Anarchy. I never watched that I show. Not, but I hear people like it. But, okay, so this will be ironic later, is that he actually left the show Sons of Anarchy because he felt it was becoming too violent. He also was very adamant about not using drugs and alcohol because he'd seen so many friends go down the wrong path. He did, like, speaking engagements about this kind of stuff. In 2019, his girlfriend, Diane Guetta, uh, got pregnant, and he had a daughter that was born in 2010. But unfortunately, him and Diane broke up. And there was like a messy custody battle with his daughter, which he lost. So things started to kind of go downhill for Johnny. In October of 2010, he crashed his motorcycle and he had a head injury. The doctors said he was fine, but his family started noticing that he was acting different. Even as extreme as like slipping into a British accent. Like there's definitely major issues that were going on. So in January 2012, he had his first violent outburst. He broke into the condo next door to his parents' house and started fighting the neighbors. He like broke a Perrier bottle on one of them. He was arrested and charged with trespassing, burglary, and assault and sent to jail. In jail, he smashed his head against concrete and tried to jump off two stories and was sent to the psychiatric ward. Then over the next two months, he tried to kill himself. He became sensitive to light. He walked into the ocean fully clothed. He tried to break into a woman's apartment. Like, he just completely unhinged. So luckily, his family comes involved, and they send him to a treatment center for drug abuse and psychosis to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So then in July 2012, there's a journal entry that he wrote that said, felt more whole today, more complete. Like parts of myself have been stolen in my sleep and scattered all over the world. And now they've begun to return. And so around this time, his dad arranged for him to stay at a writer's villa. So it's like a place where LA creatives can come and stay. So this older woman, she's an 81-year-old woman named Catherine Davis, owns the home. And she allows struggling writers and creators to come and stay at her house. So this is when it gets crazy. On September 26, 2012, Johnny became upset and confronted the homeowner, who is Catherine Davis, 81 years old. They don't know exactly what happened, but he ended up beating her to death and then beating her cat to death. I know. And it was a violent beating. 
Then Johnny attacked the house painter, punched the neighbor, then climbed on top of the roof and jumped off. The news reported that he had taken some kind of synthetic drug, but actually there was no drugs in his system. Okay, but this is the craziest thing, and this is why I wanted to tell this story. So his ex, Diana Gaeta, ended up marrying Logan Marshall Green, who starred in The O.C., who was Ryan's brother, Trey, who actually played the character, I know, played the character that was the one that was a mess, the one that was having issues. Logan Marshall Green in real life ended up marrying his ex and adopting his baby. After the guy went crazy and killed himself? Yes. So when I heard this, I had to tell somebody and I thought, let's tell Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I have to just talk about this because it's too crazy. And the fact that it's all tied back to the OC. I guess they don't know, but I mean, does they attribute all this to the head injury or could it be that he just developed psychosis as he got older? As a lot of times schizophrenia and those type of illnesses sometimes don't creep up until you're like in your 30s. I mean. Yeah, that's true. But the fact that now I still watch, I'm on season three still and he's still on there and he's so sweet yeah. and he's so cute. That's, and I know this whole story backstory is just so wild. Yeah, it's kind of, inter- you know, it's kind of like a little... A little bit like the, you know, the Glee curse. You know, a lot of those actors have. Oh, yes. We should do an episode about the Glee curse. Well, I mean, you still have to deal with Michelle Leah. She's always there. <laughs> She's, She's a curse on herself. Terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like, of all the Ryan Murphy shows, the one that's about the singing high school show has the. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, yeah. Well, how many um, baby bottles <laughs> do we give Barbarian? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I say five baby uh, bottles. Five baby nipples, yeah. <laughs> With hair on it, yeah. I guess, do we know what we're doing next time yet? No, I think it's going to be a surprise. Okay. So, until then, follow us on Instagram, Sometimes Dead Pod. Follow us on TikTok, Sometimes Dead, D-E-D is better. And then you can email us at sometimesdeadpodcast.gmail.com. Facebook page, just reach out to us that'd be great leave us a review on itunes if you don't like the show don't leave yeah. a review just yeah. move on why would you do that <laughs> yeah but please yeah <laughs> let us know if there's movie suggestions that you would like us to do there's all kinds of things that i think of that i thought oh my god i can't believe we haven't done that but yeah or if there's just ideas like movie tropes that we haven't talked about or you know comments um they're always fun to hear but if they're remotely negative keep that shit to yourself <laughs> <laughs> Okay, critical. I can take that if there's something Not I can really, learn from no, it. I, I don't, okay, no, never mind. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> only yeah. praise. Only praise. All right, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Bye. If there's movie suggestions that you would like us to do, there's all kinds of things that I think of that I thought. Yeah, or if there's just ideas. always fun to But if they're remotely negative, keep that shit to yourself. Okay, critical, I can take that if there's something Not I can really, learn from no, it. I don't, okay, no, never mind. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> only yeah. praise, only praise. All right, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Bye.